Well, good morning, friends. Oh, what a day. You know, the Bible says that this is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. And uh, I'm glad that we're together, and we need each other. And just echoing Pastor Will's comments, I need you, and, uh, and you need me. We need each other. God designed us to be a church family and a body together, and I'm so glad we're together. You could turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. Uh, Proverbs is toward the middle of your Bible if you still use the codex form of book reading. Uh, I know the rest of you on your device, Proverbs. Uh, chapter 22, there's a familiar but unfamiliar verse there that we'll be looking at. And this morning, we're going to look at the scriptures and see what the Bible says about grounding your kids God's way. Uh, any kids ever been grounded in here? Have you ever been grounded? Right? No, you guys don't lift your hands, kids. Not you. Everyone else. Yeah, you've been grounded? Man, you are so blessed. You've been grounded? Oh, man, you're so lucky. Lucky to be grounded. You want to know something? I never was grounded as a kid. I never got grounded. Wasn't that horrible? I wish my parents grounded me. And by grounded, I don't mean punish or give consequence. By grounding, I mean laying a foundation, Grounding, being grounded and having a firm foundation. And just in case some of you are past the kids stage or you don't have kids, this is not just about children. This is about grounding disciples too. How do you lay a foundation for those that God puts under your influence? How do you lay a solid foundation? Not many months ago, uh, outside of my front door, my view changed drastically uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, I, there was an empty lot across the street, and you could, you could look out my front door, and you could see this beautiful uh, horizon, this landscape, except for the trees and the train that would sometimes come by, except for that. You would see this beautiful scene, and it was open, and it was wonderful. The sun, you know, sets over there on the west, and it was so nice. And then this happened. This uh, excavator and a backhoe loader comes in and they dig out this huge square in the ground. Any of you kids know what they were doing? What were they doing? Building a house. Building a house in my view. Right in front of my house. How could they build a house across the street? But they built this house and I learned something about uh, house building. That's not how you call it, but I learned something. I'm not a houseologist, but you uh, clearly... I learned something. There are three stages. Now, this is not in textbooks, but this is just for my research. There's like three stages to building a house. And the first stage is laying the foundation. What they do is they get a big machine to, to dig this hole in the ground, and it's got to be, be below the frost line. They build a house where its foundation is below the frost line so that, you know, above the frost line when the ground uh, freezes and it shifts and water happens, all these things happen. It shifts the ground, and if the house starts shifting, it starts cracking and breaking. You don't want to do that. A house is heavy. You don't want to start moving that thing around. So they dig deep enough, and the big machine comes and builds a square. But then, and this is important, the foundation crew hand digs these holes for what's called the footings. You have a footing. Houses, houses rest on a footing. 
And it's got to be pristine. They don't use a big machine and move all the dirt around. They've got to hand dig this. Normally squares, it could go long. There's different styles of footings. There's like sloped kind. Those are the real genius kind. They used to use the stair step kind. That's kind of outdated. They have pillar kind. They have this long. Anyway, they have different footings that I've just recently learned about. Um, but they dig the footings so that the house rests on those and it doesn't move no matter what happens. And then they have what looks like Lego pieces. They build these wood and metal uh, boundaries, almost like building a case around the outline of the basement. They pour concrete. You see that on the left. On the, the picture on the right, that square that's on the bottom of that corner, that's the footing. And um, that's what a house rests on. And then you have the framing. Uh, after the foundation crew is done, the framing crew comes in. That's actually the house in, in front of my house that... I still begrudge that's there now. I can't see. Um, the framing crew comes in, and they big the outside. That's the second stage. And then I'm making this up. I'm not a car, uh, you know, construction guy. Then you have the filling. I call the filling. You have the foundation, the framing, and the footing. See that three-point sermon all start with F? Look at me do my job. Anyway, you have the filling, and that's like HVAC and plumbing and electrical, and they fill the house. And then you have the wife that comes in and fills it with all kinds of expensive, unnecessary things. And so you have... <laughs> You have the foundation, the framing, and then the, the filling. But what is the most important step? More important than anything, you can get the other two stages wrong and they can be more easily fixed, but you can't mess up the foundation. If it doesn't have a strong foundation, it will not stand. It will not be good. The house won't be able to take the test of time and change and season and weather and temperature and, and all kinds of things. It needs a strong footing. It all starts with that foundation, and that's what we're going to look at today. And I want to look at how foundations relate to what God wants us to do in raising our kids and raising disciples. How are we to raise children and disciples? How are you supposed to make disciples? It's really similar to these three stages. It's very similar. Actually, there's a lot of, you know, if you want to make it work, you can. A lot of similarity to how these stages connect to what it means to raise children and raise and make disciples. And I'm going to look at Proverbs 22, verse 6 uh, together. We'll look at it together. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he, and I'm just doing this because this is the ESV. It's not in the Hebrew text. In the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. How many have heard this verse before? I mean, a lot of you have heard this verse. Now, this verse may not mean what you think it means. There have been a, there's been a lot of confusion on Proverbs 22, verse 6. It's produced a lot of guilt, a lot of parental guilt. Parents think uh, if your children grow up and they walk away from the Lord, uh, not by a show of hands, but how many of you have felt guilty because of how your kids ended up, and you asked the question and answered it, did I do this right? I couldn't have. I couldn't have, because look, you've got Proverbs 22, verse 6, if I train them up in the right way, when they're older, they'll not depart from it. So in their 20s, you're like, well, they're not older yet. And then in their 30s, they're like, well, they're not exactly older. Exactly. And you just keep giving on hope. But, but there are people in this room where your children are far past that stage, and they have departed away. And maybe you felt guilty. What did I do? Because Proverbs 22, verse 6 says that if I would have done it right, they would have stayed on the right track. Now, I don't think that's true. 
It's produced a lot of guilt. That's not the way I think that it's supposed to be read. I don't even think that's the right translation. And some have looked at this and through experience and having kids that went off on way deviated left or right, and they look at this and say, oh, and they've heard preachers say this, it's not a promise, it's a proverb. The proverbs aren't promises. These are not promises. This is just a proverb. Listen, this is just all things equal when it pans out, this can mostly happen, and that's what people say, but you never really feel at peace about that, do you? And you want to know why? Because you don't treat a lot of other Proverbs this way. I'll give you an example. They won't be on the screen, but you know some of these verses. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. We don't criticize the Proverbs this way normally. Proverbs 9, 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, typically. Is that how it's translated? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, sometimes all thing equal no we don't say that what about proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 6 trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths usually do do they is that how it's translated is that how you've memorized it no no one says that no one says you know sometimes or my one of my favorites to say it this way proverbs 31 verse 30 Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised most of the time. Is that how you say it? No. And so we criticize Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 in a way that we don't criticize a lot of other Proverbs. That's not how we read it. Now listen, there are genres in the Bible, and you do use genres in a specific way to understand, to read them, to interpret them. That is true. There's about five major genres in the, in the scriptures. And so you read them that way. And listen, you wouldn't read the Declaration of Independence the same way you read a love letter. You wouldn't read those two the same. They're, they're, they're different. You know, have, have you ever like went to download an app and it says, I have read the agreement, license, blah, 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 and, you, and it's all that stuff. How many of you have clicked it and not read it? You've all broken the ninth commandment. Do not bear false witness. You are all liars. And, and I've done it too. I'm like, listen, I just want to download this out. You can have all my rights. Just, just give me this thing, right? You just, we just assume it's all going to be okay. This will not come back to bite me. And you just kind of accept whatever. You don't read that. I've read it before. Boring. You cannot read. It doesn't make sense. It's weird. So you don't read that the same way you would read a sermon, the same way you would read a love letter, the same way you would read a historical journal or a historical text or a textbook on government. Different genres you read differently. You don't read every kind of literature the same. However, the problem is not that Proverbs are not promises. It's not about if it's a promise or not. They're still true. The Proverbs are truth. It is true. And when you read this the right way, you find out that the actual, which if you've ever been to Israel and you've, you've, you've had that privilege, some of you Israel people like me, you, they bring it up all the time. I don't know why we do that, but I was there in 2019. And so <laughs> went to Israel and, and I just was, my mind was open. I couldn't believe how many new things that I understood about the Bible just by learning the culture and the background and the setting. And like, I learned amazing things. I learned things about the Hebrew language that I didn't know before and the the way that you said things. Well, get this, I study this passage and I find out that for hundreds of years in English already we've known, for over a thousand years we have commentary on Proverbs 22 verse six. They don't translate it this way. 
only English translations add the term the way they should go or the right way. That's not in the Hebrew text. Do you know how Jews read this text? This is the literal translation of Proverbs 22. Train up a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's not a promise, it's a warning. And the Hebrew people, they don't translate this the way we do. Some of them make fun of us for translating it wrong. If you train up a child in his way, when he's older, he won't depart from it. It's a warning saying, listen, if you give a kid whatever they want when they're younger, how are they going to be when they're older? Self-centered, narcissistic, proud, selfish. You train up a child in his way, meaning you, let, you give them whatever they want. If, if, if you give in to them and you just let them do what they want, you don't correct them. If you do that when they're older, they're going to be they're going to be scallywags. They're going to be spoiled brats. They're going to be selfish. That's the point. It's a warning. It's, it's what I like to call an inverse promise or warning, a threat. Listen, if you do this when they're older, they're not going to, they're, they're not going to change. And so training children and making disciples requires laying a solid foundation of correction. You, ha- you are the ones that have to lay the foundation. If it's your children, God has appointed you to lay the right foundation for them. If you're making a disciple, if you're ministering to someone and, and you know that God's using you to influence them, to speak truths to them, God wants you to lay a foundation, a godly foundation, because if you don't, they're going to keep going their own way and their own way is not good. And so train up a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, meaning he will not stray from it. He's going to stay that way. And you can go look this up. I want you to. I want to encourage you because, you know, this is a widely misunderstood text. You should go read commentaries on this. There's some really good commentaries from the 1800s that speak to this. There's Jewish commentary that speaks to this. You can read, this is a warning for us. Don't let kids, don't let disciples begin by thinking their way is best. And it makes sense with the rest of the book of Proverbs. The word child that's used here in chapter 22, multiple times in chapter 22, but in verse 6, this word for child or youth, maybe your translation said, is used six other times in the book of Proverbs and 100% of the time, every other time, all seven times, it's used to speak to the folly and ignorance of youth, of children. Now, this is not labeling. This isn't, you know, oh, kids don't know things. That's not the point of the proverb, the wisdom literature. It's, listen, kids don't know everything. They don't know what's best for them, and they need someone else to correct them, because will kids correct themselves? No. They will almost never correct themselves. They need someone else. That's why they're kids. That's why they have parents. And so, uh, the word for child is used that way, and it points out a use ignorance. In the same chapter, in verse, 20, in verse 15, in chapter 22, it says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. That's just one example. The other five examples you can go look at, well, I'm going to mention one more, but the other five you can look at, children and youth, they are not, they are not born automatically doing the right thing, and you need to correct them. You need to ground them with a good foundation. There's a picture I actually wanted to show you. Uh, That's my son, Charlie, on the left. I don't know if you could tell he's doing this. We took him to Cracker Barrel. We went outside. We said, okay, it's time to go. And Charlie said, it ain't time to go. I mean, he didn't say that, but he said that, you know. And so he sits on the chair and we say, Charlie, we need to go to the van. He sticks out his hand in defiance, puckers up his lips, says, I ain't going. 
Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. This is the nature of all of us. And I want you to hear this without feeling like I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be hard on you. This is just reality. When you first come to Christ, one of the biggest lessons that you need to learn is you are not going to always want the right thing. And a true disciple maker will begin by telling you, now listen, <laughs> it's not going to be all roses. It's not going to, you're on fire right now, but eventually you're going to be discouraged when you find out that you don't always want the right things and do the right things. You're going to give in to some things. You're going to still want some bad things and you're going to wonder, what's wrong with me? What happened? Why am I still broken? If I gave my life to Christ, what, what went wrong? Well, it's because you still have a sin nature and your nature still wants to go off the right track. That's the point of the proverb. So children and disciples need us to lay a good foundation. And that's the first point. If you've got your program, just cross out those two points. If you're type A personality, you're or, I'm so sorry. Listen, just blame anyone else except me, uh, even though it's really my fault. I changed this yesterday and they, couldn't, they already printed them out. I have new points for the program. Point number one is in grounding your kids, you need, or your disciples, you need to ground them in God's discipline. That's the first point. You need to ground them in God's discipline. When someone gets saved, they're, they're just on fire. Do you remember the first time you got saved and how much you like, oh, I want to do it, I want to do what's right, I love Jesus, like you were all for it, you were just pumped up. And then maybe two, three months later, you look at yourself and say, what happened? It's like you lost the fire, like it went out, like someone doused the fire and you just feel cold or distant from God and there's some kind of distance and you wonder, what happened? Your nature, you still have a sinful nature. You're set free from the consequences and the penalty, the punishment of sin. If you've put your faith in Christ, he's going to save you, but you're still being sanctified. But your nature needs to be corrected. You need to, for the rest of your life, confess your sins and repent. You need to be grounded in God's discipline for the rest of your life. You will always need discipline. Let me ask some of you parents. Your kids require a lot of you, don't they? Do they sometimes require more out of you than you want to give? Just be honest. Do they sometimes require more out of you than you want to give? Okay. Have you ever gotten angry because your children needed you to parent them? I want you to think about that question. Have you ever been frustrated and upset and angry because your, parent, your kids needed you to parent them? They needed more time with you. Well, why would you be angry? Why would you get upset? What else would you expect? Of course they need you to parent them. That's why God gave you to them. That's why they're your children. They are going to need your time. They are going to need your energy. They are going to need more out of you than you want to give. That's the very essence of what it means to be a parent. God has chosen you to ground your kids in the discipline of the Lord. This is the same for disciples. You let kids do whatever they want, or I'm sorry, you let disciples, when disciples are new, and they come to you and say, you know, I don't agree with the Bible when it says this or that, and I don't know, I think this kind of lifestyle is fine, and I don't know why the church picks on this or points to that. You have a choice to make. You can either tell them the truth and say, now listen, everything we think is not best. Our hearts can be sick sometimes. We can be off sometimes, and we need to come before God and be disciplined by his word. Let his word take captive every thought of ours. And you didn't know from the very beginning as a young Christian, listen, you, you, can't, you can't do everything you think is right. 
And you can't go every way that you think is the best. You need to receive God's discipline. That's something that disciples need to hear. They need to be corrected. They need to be instructed. And so the bottom line is we can't be passive and think that our children or new believers will end up on the right path automatically. That's not the way God designed it. That's not the way that it works. God wants us to ground them in his, in his discipline. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Or chapter 29, verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. If you let a child be and just do what they want and make their own decisions and make their own way, they are not going to make the right decisions. And that's not a knock on them. That's a responsibility for you. That's God giving you wisdom saying, hey, you got to be vigilant in this. It's, it's vigilant. It's not, it's not going to be automatic. You have to ground them in the Lord's discipline. Now, when it speaks of the rod, I know a lot of people, there's many people sensitive to this. There is never, ever an excuse for physical abuse, ever. It's never appropriate to hurt someone and to be abusive, and that is not the design that God had. At the same time, the word rod is not a metaphor for strong words. This speaks of what I like focus on the family. Dr. James Dobson, he wrote this article Almost 30 years ago, he wrote this article about, about little kids. When they're two years old, you know what gets their attention more than a good eloquent speech? Just a slight tap on the rear end. Just a, just a quick, like, hey, hey, you're, you're going crazy. Two-year-olds are not logical. They're not rational, and they're not going to hear you and be like, you know, mother and father, you make a really good point about that, and I don't think I should cry about that. That's not going to happen. So God gives us the rod, meaning like to spank, to lightly, gently spank to get their attention. Now, I have learned the hard way. Now, I got spanked way past when I should have been spanked, way harder than I should have ever been spanked. And I learned with my kids, most of the time, I don't even want to spank them. Spanking them isn't what's good. And once they get past that stage, they don't need spankings. They need to talk to them. So I talk my kids to death. I've learned a new, and there, some of them are even here in this room. I've just decided, you know what, we're going to process this together, and we're going to learn through this, and we're going to talk. And so I've figured out something worse than spanking, and that's conversations. And so, and I'm a pastor, and I counsel too. I'm a manual process, Jesus with us. We're going to go through this together. And so my kids are learning, I think, a better way, you know what, what is true and what is right. They need that kind of instruction. They need that kind of discipline. Uh, there's a proverb, Proverb 23, verses 13 through 14, another place. I've really used a handful of them now. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. I just imagine Solomon. You know how many kids Solomon had? He had quite a few kids. I can just imagine Solomon in his later years writing this, and he's thinking of a lot of moms because he had a lot of moms in his life. And he's thinking of his wives and how they mother. He's like, listen, listen, listen. If you gently spank your child, they're not going to die. They're not going to instantaneously combust. You're not going to, you know, they're not going to die. Listen, just get their attention. Let them see this way's the night right. Don't forsake discipline. Ground them in God's discipline. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. You, you need to be willing to discipline them. There's actually um, an ancient Egyptian proverb that, uh, that says, the ears of a boy are on his rear end. <laughs> That's the proverb. 
They listen better when uh, you get their attention through their rear. And that's a real ancient Egyptian proverb. Anyway, so reproof and discipline are much more than a punishment. Reproof and discipline requires time and energy to lay a foundation that has a good footing, laying that foundation in God's discipline, letting them see that they need, they need, to, be, they need to repent, they need to confess, they're going to be corrected, and they're going to be this way for the rest of their life. And discipline is about not just course correction, but it's about love. It's not just course correction. It's about, it's about eternity. It's about love. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 6, the Hebrew writer says, writes, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't take it lightly. Be serious about this. God's discipline is serious. Don't shrug it off. Don't think it's not important. Don't, don't make it peripheral in your disciple-making, in your child-rearing, because it's not peripheral to him. It's going to be essential in your life. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Sometimes God wears you out. <laughs> I think that's interesting. Don't become weary. It's, you're going to feel wearied. You're, you're going to feel a little worn out when God needs to discipline you because you're not paying attention. But don't grow weary. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Do you know that his discipline in your life is a sign of love and acceptance? That's one thing the secular world doesn't believe in. If you disagree with them, they call it hate. If you don't agree with them. If you don't say everything you want and everything you say and everything you feel is correct. If you don't do that, they say it's hate speech and you hate them. And it's because their folly is bound up in their heart. They want to do what they want to do, and they don't want anybody, including God, to correct them. And for a lot of them, it's because they grew up in a home where there was no correction. You let a kid, you raise a kid in the way that he wants, when he's older, he's going to be that way. Generations are living proof of this. The next generations are living proof of what it's like living in a home with no correction and discipline. They don't have a father. They don't have someone to lovingly pursue them like a father does a son that he receives. And so God is calling us to, to lay that groundwork of discipline. It's a sign of his love and acceptance. Later in that chapter in verse 10, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Listen, when you get disciplined, it doesn't feel good. It's not supposed to feel good. It's actually supposed to feel bad. You want your brain to capture that that unpleasant, uncomfortable memory in your heart and mind and to tell you, listen, you don't want to go down this path again. It's not worth it. Do you remember the pain and the devastation? Now, that doesn't fix everything, and you need more than that, but that's part of it. You need to receive instruction and discipline. Kids, when your parents discipline you, I know you hate it when someone says this. God can use that to love you. To, to show you that he cares about you, to show you that he wants to correct your life so that you don't end up in your own way, which leads to destruction. So discipline is for our own good. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields, yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It yields peace, it brings holiness. There's a purpose to discipline, and it's your holiness so that you could be changed and become more like Christ. You and I, I need discipline. I still need it today. I need God's discipline in my life. And um, I thank God that he laid that foundation because my parents didn't. My parents did not train me up 
in the discipline of God. They didn't know his discipline. So I missed that as a kid. And, and by God's grace and mercy, he changed my, my heart and my life. And he helped other disciple makers speak into my life and lay a foundation of what godly discipline really is. And it's good. It doesn't feel good, but it is good. So ground your children and disciples in God's discipline them. In discipline. Show them how God works in your life to stop you from making the wrong decision, to stop you from sinning, to stop you from hurting others. Show them. They need to see how God even corrects you and how you repent and you confess. Don't be afraid to correct them. The younger generation needs to be corrected. They need to be encouraged. They need to be loved. They need to be accepted. But part of that acceptance and love is through discipline. You know, one of the lies of the secular think tank, the worldview, is that everybody just needs to follow their own heart and do whatever they want and however they think they were born and whatever they think they feel like, they just need to follow that. That's the world's sin. But the church's sin is accepting that. That's our sin, is believing them. I mean, who wouldn't want to believe you're all snowflakes and everything you want is good and just do whatever you want. That sounds so good. You're going to get a lot of praise. People's ears are going to be tickled. They're going to be like, oh, 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 that's so good. I love that. Let's hear that again. They want that. But our job is to lay a foundation God's way to ground them in the discipline of God. Don't feed into their pride. Don't, tell them the truth about their sinful nature. Be honest with them and say, listen, just like me, you're not always going to want the right thing. That's because you have a sinful nature. You still have a broken side to you. And God wants to show you in a relationship with him how he can mold that and change that. And it's unpleasant sometimes. It's painful sometimes. And that's what it's supposed to be, according to the Bible. Don't weary yourself out because it's unpleasant. Of course it's unpleasant. It's a good thing. God uses it as a blessing in your life. So ground them in God's discipline. And secondly, ground them in God's word. Ground them in God's word. Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in his way. That's the literal translation. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do you know that word train is the word kanuk? Can you say kanuk? Kanuk. You know, a lot of Hebrew words, the way that they're said sounds like the actual thing that they describe. So I'll give you an example, one I learned from a Hebrew professor. Do you know Abraham, one of his sons, was named Isaac? Do you know what Isaac's name means? Laughter. Because in Hebrew, Isaac is pronounced Iskak. Because the Jews say, we say laughing is like this, ha, ha, ha. That's our American way of laughing. You know what the Jewish way of laughing is? Iskakak. <laughs> I kind of, I emphasize it a little too much there. But Iskakak, that's like, ha, ha, ha. It's like, it's like laughing. So a lot of their words point to what the actual thing describes. Well, this word kanuk is the same way. It's not just used for train. It's the word for palate. It's the word for palate. The, the, top, the roof of your mouth is your hard palate. Back there where there's just fleshy part, it's called your soft palate in the back. Well, that's your palate. This is what happened. An Israelite woman would uh, give birth to a baby, and the Hebrew midwife would be caring for her, and then the Hebrew midwife would do something very strange in their custom. She would take her finger, and she would dip it into a sweet paste-like thing. You know in the Old Testament when it says uh, the land was flowing with milk and it doesn't have to do with bees. It's not bees, honey. It's date, honey. 
It's honey from dates. And what they would do is they would smash up dates and it's really sweet. It's like a bunch of sugar. It's glucose or whatever. Anyway, they'd smash up dates and they'd make a paste-like thing and the Hebrew midwife would stick her finger in the paste-like thing and then she would take that little newborn infant and she would stick her tongue on the top of his palate called the Canuck, right here, because it sounds like Canuck. You have to put your tongue on the Canuck when you say Canuck. Anyway, she would put it on top and then the, the baby would be like... Well, this is, I've never had this ambiotic fluid before. Where's, what kind of flavor is this? I love this. And then the, the infant would start, I love this thing. And then the baby would all of a sudden, like, I'm ready to nurse. And then the midwife would give her to the mom, and the mom would be like, good to go. Now, I learned this the hard way with the first child. It's not like National Geographic. You have to train your children to know how to do this. That's how the midwives would do that. So that's the word Canuck. That's what the word train. You have to give them a taste for it. You have to initiate that process and that hunger. You are responsible to start that up in your children and in those that you're making the disciples. Your disciples need you to start that process. You are called by God to train them up. And so that's the idea of train. You need to train them. And in particular, you need to train them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's those two things. It's so interesting that that's in Hebrews or Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. That word for bring them up, maybe your translation says train. Train them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Isn't that interesting that Paul uses these two? He's so Hebrew. He's so Jewish. He knows their culture. He knows. This is the way you raise kids. It begins with discipline. Because you can't train a one-year-old or a two-year-old with intelligence and speeches and conversations. They don't know that. They need discipline. They need a kind of structure where they just kind of get moved in that direction. It's later when they are able to receive the instruction. So you ground them in God's discipline first, and I know that's hard, but you ground them in God's discipline first, and then you ground them in God's word. Train them up, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That instruction is God's word. Ground them in God's word. Don't provoke them to anger, meaning uh, maybe yours says exasperate. Don't, don't be too hard on them. Don't be so hard on them that they want to quit, that they feel like they can't meet your expectations, they can't be good enough. Don't, don't belabor every wrong move. Guess what? You make wrong moves too. And you should be glad that God doesn't treat you that way. You should be glad that God doesn't treat you with reproach when you make mistakes, when you go the wrong way again and again. There's not a person in this room that hasn't had to learn the same lesson a hundred times. There's not a one of you. And I know that. All of us need correction and discipline and we need God's word and it takes patience. And so we have to ground our children and our disciples in God's word. Disciples and children both need the same thing. They need discipline. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness. Those four words, there's, there's the discipline, which is correction and reproof, and then there's the instruction, training in righteousness, training and teaching. You ground them in God's word. That's God's design for us, to make disciples and to raise our kids. Because what happens if you don't? What happens if you don't lay a good foundation of discipline and a good foundation of God's word? Well, what happens to every building that doesn't have a good foundation? Which we have some pictures for that. I don't, I don't think, is that the leaning tower of pizza? 
I know it's not pizza. I know it's pizza. I know that. Yeah, pizza. Right now the kids are listening. Pizza. Are you going to listen to the sermon? Pizza. Uh, the Leaning Tower of whatever that is, that cathedral. And then you have that, that building. Those cracks in the walls and eventually really beginning in the foundation, that happens when there's a shift and the foundation isn't set on solid ground. You know the parable. Build The man who is wise builds his house on the rock. You build it on a strong foundation. It has a strong, immovable footing. And to do that, you have to raise them in the, the discipline, ground them in God's discipline, ground them in God's word. So this week, parents, no, no parent guilt. This is just, you know, I've, I have so much progress to make. How are you grounding your kids in discipline right now? Are they receiving God's kind of loving but unpleasant discipline that they need? Or are you grounding them in God's word? Are you spending time with them when they're old enough? And you can share, I mean, I've read my Bible to my son when he came home from the hospital. He didn't know it, but are you giving them the instruction of the Lord? Are you bringing them up in God's word? Because God is using you to make those disciples. You can look at your children as disciples, and you can look at disciples as disciples. God wants you to ground them and to ground them wisely. If you don't, they'll shift. Uh, recently, there's been a shift in my own life. Uh, Courtney and I have gone through some things that I'm glad for the foundation that God has given us. Uh, in the last several months, uh, Courtney, my wife, if you don't know, has gone through several uh, medical tests, and uh, she was diagnosed with Cushing's disease, uh, and they found that she has a tumor on her pituitary. Um, it's in your head. It's right at the base of where the brain is, and this tumor is causing all kinds of havoc. Uh, but they found it, and we got to visit with the neurosurgeon and the ENT surgeon, and uh, I would ask that you pray for us. Uh, her surgery is on August 5th in a couple weeks, and uh, our family is just going through a very time-consuming, emotionally, just an emotional trial, and I need your prayers. And if it weren't for the foundation of, of God's love, his word, his care, his grace, his discipline in my life, I don't know what I would do in times like this, where there's just always shifting sand. I know that God doesn't change. And so if you would pray for her, pray for us, uh, surgeries at the beginning of August, and then there's a few weeks of appointments. We're going to be going back and forth to Oklahoma City, which isn't that bad. MD Anderson, Mayo Clinic, they're all farther away. We've got somewhere that's not too far, but we really need your prayers. And uh, I'd love it as just a church family if you would lift us up and pray for God's healing. There's a good chance that she'll do well, um, but there's a number of complications that are just making it just making it a difficult time right now. So if you'd pray for us, a foundation is what holds us in, uh, in shifting times. So I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Will's going to come up and send us out wherever he is. As soon as he stands up, uh, if he can bend over. Yeah, he's here somewhere. If he doesn't come up, I'll do the sending. Father, uh, we love you because you first loved us. And we know that you're good, and uh, we know that you have good things stored up for us in heaven. We can't wait for the new heavens and new earth. It's going to be so wonderful to sit at your banquet table and to eat with brothers and sisters 
across time and nations and, and ages. It'll be so good to be with you and to finally be at peace. We await that freedom and that healing and that hope that we have. And we just pray, would you help us to lay a strong foundation in the lives of, of the next generations? They need our help, and it's not easy, and we don't like it, and it takes so much time. But would you give us a vigilance? Would you give us the conviction? Would you inspire us through your spirit to take your commission seriously and to lay a solid foundation that reflects your, your word, reflects your discipline, reflects your love? We love you because you first loved us. And we're so happy to be together because of what you've done for us and that you united us in Christ. We are all united together. Those that have faith in you, we are true brothers and sisters adopted into your family. And there's no, there's no greater family than, than the family you've provided through your spirit. We love you and we give this day to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I will send us out and it will be on the screen and uh, I'll share these words with you. Uh, really think about these words. Would you stand? Would you stand as we, as we get sent out? And you can repeat after me if you want to, if you're familiar with this. We have been motivated by the love God has shown us in Christ. We have been united in our worship of the living God together. We have been encouraged by our fellowship with one another, and we have been equipped by the preaching of God's Word. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit. In all that you do, love God boldly. In whatever family, neighborhood, workplace, or school God has placed you, love people sacrificially. In whatever stage of life you find yourself, Look for opportunities to faithfully lead others to do the same. Hey, can we change this part? Let's say we. We are the church. Now go be the church. Grace, you are sent.